Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We are closing our series this weekend on wisdom with a message that answers a really important question. I want you to think about something. If Proverbs says that the wisdom of the wise is better than the strength of the strong, that is in essence one of the biggest pictures the book of Proverbs paints. The wisdom of the wise is better than the strength of the strong. That begs one really important question in my opinion. And it happens to be the title of this message. What do the wisest people know that makes them so powerful? If wisdom is that powerful, that it's more strong than the strong person's strength, what do the wisest people know that makes them so powerful? If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to two spots. Open up to Ephesians chapter 3 and put a marker in Romans 8. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 16, Paul makes a really strong statement about three things that I believe the wisest people on the earth all know that makes them so powerful. Ephesians 3, verse 16, Paul says, I pray that from his, God's, glorious, unlimited resources, he, God, will empower you with inner strength through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Then, Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag at the very beginning of this message. It's already in your notes, so you're going to see it. Here are the three big things that the wisest people on planet earth know that make them so powerful. Here they are. You ready? The power of the Holy Spirit, the way of Jesus, the love of God. The three things that the wisest people on planet earth know that make them so powerful. They understand the power of the Holy Spirit, the way of Jesus, the love of God. So let's walk these out, all right? And we're going to cover a ton of ground, but let's try and get through it, all right? Point number one, the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you one verse of Scripture that will help to calibrate you to understand just how important it is for every believer in Jesus Christ to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and to have access to the power of God. One verse. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created you. The God of the universe created you in his image. Okay, I've talked about before that scripture says that God measures the heavens and the earth. That means all of the galaxies in existence. He measures all of that with these two fingers. Question, is that big? 
Is it a big God that can measure all of the galaxies in existence like this? Yes. Okay. It's not a trick question, people. Okay. You're like, I don't want to get this wrong. You're not going to get it wrong. Okay. This really big God created you in his really big image. Okay. Now let me give you a one-liner if you're taking notes. Write this down. A big God never creates anything small. A big God never creates anything small. Not only did God, who measures everything with these two fingers, create you in his really big image, he also created your calling, your purpose. Okay, remember, a really big God never, ever, ever creates anything small. Your purpose for existing on this planet is so much bigger than you could ever wrap your mind around. It's so big, you can't pull it off by yourself. So God did something about that. He didn't just slap this really big calling created by a really big God on your shoulders and say, pull it off. Here's what he did. Romans 8 verse 11, you can flip over. And we're going to meander through Romans 8 all through this message. Romans 8, verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. God has given you access to his really, really big power so that you and he together can pull it off. Let's walk this through. Let's answer this question. What kind of power is it? I'm going to give you three things. Number one, it's a help you live a better life kind of power. What kind of power is the power of the Holy Spirit? It's a help you live a better life kind of power. Have any of us ever tried to live a really good life and screwed it up? Just put your hand up, please. Okay, hold it up. Look around. Look around. Anybody with their hand not up? Let's have them stand up and embarrass them publicly. We've all screwed it up, okay? And if you kept your hand down, you just screwed it up, okay? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Not just with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. How many of us have ever tried not to do something we knew was wrong, but we ended up doing it. Just put your hand up. Yeah, all of us, right? Okay, God deposits, when we become believers in Jesus Christ, he deposits his Holy Spirit inside of us to help us not do the things we know we shouldn't be doing. But it's even better than that. The Holy Spirit doesn't just give us the power to not do what is bad that we don't want to do. Go a couple verses further in Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Notice it says, not the fruit of Preston, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of me. When I yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, God says in his word, this kind of fruit is produced through me. 
What kind of power is the power of the Holy Spirit? It's a help you live a better life kind of power. When you feel like you're bumping into the same wall, trying to get over a habit you haven't been able to kick for years, note to self, stop trying to do it in your own strength. Tap into the same power that raised Christ from the dead that lives on the inside of every believer. Let's keep going. Second kind of power. This is a really long one. I was going to try and make you write this down, but I decided not to. Number two, it's a help you understand you are a part of the greatest family ever, even when you don't feel like it kind of power. It's Ephesians. I can go through multiple books where, where this just gets hammered, right? It's a help you understand you're a part of the greatest family ever, even when you don't feel like it kind of power. I'm going to read you Romans 8, this portion, out of the message because it's such a beautiful translation of this passage. It's going to be a little different than most of you that grew up in church, a little bit different than what you maybe have memorized it as. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life, that's life before Christ, we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. That is nasty right there, theologically. That's fantastic. Give your old, before Christ life a decent burial and move on with your new life. Such great advice. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. That's nasty. Here's what that means. This new life in Christ is not a play out the clock and wait to go to heaven kind of life. It's so much bigger than that. It's adventurously expectant, this new life in Christ. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Father and children. He is our father and we are his children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us. Hit the pause button because too many of us think bad stuff is coming to us. All right? Listen closely for those of us who beat ourselves up and go, I know the other shoe's about to drop. God's mad. He's about to whoop me, take me out back. That's going to be my inheritance. And we know as God's children we are going to get what's coming to us. What is coming to us? An unbelievable inheritance. As a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you say, I'm not a believer in Jesus Christ, but the way this message is going, I'd like to be. We're going to talk at the end of this message. Trust me. Okay? Trust me. You're going to get a chance. All right? But it's going to get better and better. I'd bet everything to my name by the time we get to the end of this message. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to be begging to meet him. And I got really good news. You don't have to beg. You do not have to beg. Let's keep going. I am so riled up. I need to calm myself down. I was so tired last week, but I feel really good this week. That, that's Number three, it's a help others come to know the love of God kind of power. This is important. Because for some of us who, who grew up in church, this is a forgotten purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. But I would submit to you that it is the most important purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will, not you might, 
not I hope you do, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will, because of this power, be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The most important purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is evangelism. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will, because of it, be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere to the ends of the earth. Thus saith the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's move to point number two. The way of Jesus. The way of Jesus. The wisest people on planet earth know the way of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way. I like when he talks like that. I'm not going to lie, especially in a, a day and time when relativism, universalism, all the isms that should be wasms. Everybody running around saying this and that. I love it when he talks like this. I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Okay, now there are two ways to look at John 14, 6. One is that Jesus is merely saying, I am the way to heaven. I am the only way. There is no other way to the Father except me. Okay, is Jesus saying that in John 14, 6? Yes, he is, okay? Yes, he is. Not a trick question. I promise I would never, almost never trick you, Okay. Jesus says, I am the only way to heaven. But is that all he is saying? No way. Is it also possible that Jesus is saying, not only am I the way to heaven, I'm the only real way to live on the earth. I am that way. I am the way. What does that way mean? What does it look like? For those of us like me who aren't as smart as everybody else, wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus took everything in Scripture that could be a, a, attached to the way of Jesus and just boiled it down to two things. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay, he did. He did. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said, here it is. I'm boiling it, everything down, boiling the entire law down to two things. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two things. The way of Jesus. This is it. First, love God with all of you. The highest command there is, is to love the Lord your God with all of you. The greatest measurement of love is not what I say, but what I do. Sometimes I can be guilty of getting really, really good at communicating how much I love God and not be as good at showing how much I love God. Think about this. We'll call it a hypothetical conversation between you and God. And one day God comes to you and he says, I love it when you tell me in the middle of church during a song, how much you love me. 
I love it. I love when you tell me how much you love me. But do you really love me? What would you say? Probably like Peter, of course I love you. Like, do you really, really love me? God says, yes. Lord, I really, really love you. Do you really, really, really love me? Oh, yes, I really, really love you. Well, then you know what I love more than when you tell me how much you love me? I love it when you show me. What would you say? If you're like me, individualization is one of my top five strengths, which means if I get you a gift, I don't want to just get you a gift. I want to watch you, borderline stalk you, and figure out the one gift you want more than any other gift. Okay? So I would say back to God, if he said, I love it when you show me, here's what I would say. What's your favorite way that I show you how much I love you? I think this would be his response, and I think we can back it up scripturally. I think he would say this. I love it when you, as my child, live like my son. Capital S. Pointing at his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 31. Jesus says this. But I do as the Father has commanded me. Why? So that the world may know that I love the Father. I do everything God commands me, Jesus says. Why? Because I want everybody to know how much I love him. Jesus is teaching us. One of the best ways to show love is to do whatever the one whom you love so much, do whatever they ask you to do. Jesus, in essence, is saying, I did not come here to do what I want. I came to this earth to do whatever he says. This is one of the ways we show God how much we love him. We live like the son. John 6, verse 38. Jesus takes this a little bit further. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, so in, in the first part, Jesus is saying, hey, make no mistake. I do everything the Father commands me so that everybody knows how much I love him. But he also says, I didn't come here to do my will. I came here to do his. Here's another way to say both those statements. In the first one, Jesus says, I do everything he says, but every once in a while, I hear someone ask me this question. Okay, Preston, it's easy for me, when I feel like God tells me what to do, it's easy for me to do it. What do I do when he doesn't tell me what to do? Jesus just answered that question in John 6. You do what you believe he wants you to do, his will. You do your best to walk out his will, not yours. Preston, what if I don't know what that is? Here's how I would say it about me, okay? In every situation, you have something your will wants and God has something his will wants. Here's one of the fastest ways to know what God's will is. It's usually the opposite of yours. Love God with all of you. Here's the second half of the way of Jesus. Love others the way God loves you. Well, wait a minute, Preston. When you read what Matthew recorded, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. But I want you to see, Jesus raises the bar for us as his followers. John 15, verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. 
What a beautifully personal statement. He says, the way the Father loves me, that's how I have loved you. John 13, verse 34, Jesus goes even further. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. What is the way of Jesus? Loving others the way he loves us. Then verse 35, he just kind of sneaks this little statement of accountability in. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Another way to say that, Preston, you can tell everybody you're one of my disciples. But talk is cheap, cupcake. They will know you're one of my disciples based on how they see you love everybody else. The fastest and greatest way to show love is what? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. John 15, verse 12. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay? Jesus says, this is my way. It's the way of sacrifice. What does sacrifice feel like? It's painful. It's excruciating. Jesus says, this is my way. The fastest way, Preston, for me to help someone understand just how much I love them, die for them. Son, talk is cheap. Death is not. The more you lay your life down for the people around you, the greater the walking advertisement for the power of God and the way of Jesus and the love of God that you are. Imagine if we all endeavored to make our number one strength be this, daily death. Sacrifice at the highest level. This is the way of Jesus. And just in case you wondered if there was a point to this way of sacrifice, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here's what that means. That every time you sacrifice for someone Christ died for, it's like the God of the universe does a little dance in heaven and just goes, I love it when she does that. I love it. Because the person she did that for is getting a very small but beautiful glimpse of what real love looks like. It's sacrificial. And when my followers sacrifice for those I died for, it helps those I died for get a picture of the love that motivates it. This is the way of Jesus. This brings us to one of my favorite subjects of all subjects. Point number three, the wisest people on the earth understand the love of God. Well, Preston, we're in church. Like You're preaching to probably mostly church people. Hopefully not. We're doing our jobs, right? You're preaching to a bunch of people that know the love of God. Um, I've spent nearly 20 years in ministry. One of the biggest things I have learned 
is one of the most misunderstood aspects of God is his love. Do you know what I believe to be the biggest mistake you could ever make in your life is? To mistake the love of God. To not understand it. And so, I want to help you understand. The greatest revelation any human being can receive in this life is this. The God of the universe loves me. I want you to repeat that with me, all right? On the count of three, let's all say, the God of the universe loves me. You ready? One, two, three. The God of the universe loves me. Let's do it again. The God of the universe loves me. Let's pick a different tone now. The God of the universe loves me. Let's pick an even different tone. The God of the universe loves me. It's not silly. One of the wisest things we could do is spend all the time we have every day meditating on the overwhelming, extravagant love of God. So, the big question, and I'm running out of time, so we're going to have to fly through this. The big question is this. What kind of love is it? Glad you asked. Let's answer. Number one, it's a I'm so obsessed with you, I never stop staring at you kind of love. Don't you love my subpoints? I didn't write them, I promise. Psalm 139, verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. This is speaking to God. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. You didn't just hope I was made correctly, created just the way you wanted. You made sure it was as you wanted. Verse 14. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me, stalked me, as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, God was stalking you. When there wasn't even much of you to look at, the God of the universe was obsessed with stalking you. That is insane to me. That's crazy. It doesn't stop there, though. You saw me, because you were stalking me, before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Think about that picture. That before you were ever even born, God was playing out your entire life, watching his favorite parts, going, I can't wait until she's born. I cannot wait till he's born. That's what this verse is saying. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh stalking God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. Anybody been to the beach in a while? And when I wake up, you're still with me. What is David saying? He's saying, I've awakened so many mornings, God, where I felt like you were literally, tangibly standing over my bed, staring at my face like this. And here's what you need to remember. God made sure that went into his word. If it were untrue, he would have scratched it out. God put a seal on it and went, mm-hmm. 
Every morning of your life, I stare at you, waiting for you simply to open your eyes and tell me, good morning, I love you. I want you to write this in, and then we're going to say this as well. I put it, I personalized it for you. I am God's favorite hobby. Yes, you are. So let's say it together on the count of three. I am God's favorite hobby. You ready? One, two, three. I am God's favorite hobby. Let's say it again. I am God's favorite hobby. Let's pick a different tone. I am God's favorite hobby. Let's pick an even better tone. I am God's favorite hobby. Do you actually believe that? When you do, I assure you, you will be among the wisest people to walk the face of this earth. And part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High God, is to make sure as many people as we ever meet in our lifetime understand what this love is like. So let's keep going. Number two, what kind of love is the love of God? Number two, it's an even though nobody else wanted to marry you, I unashamedly overpaid for you kind of love. Nasty. I'm going to read it again. It's an even though nobody else wanted to marry you, I unashamedly overpaid for you kind of love. Romans 5 verse 8, but God showed his great love for you by sending Jesus Christ to die for you while you were still a sinner. Do you know what good news that is? Let's, let's just think about this. How many of us, when we were getting ready, for those of us who were already married, the day of our wedding, how many of us showed up in our raddiest sweatpants and favorite t-shirt that was like 15 years old? How many of us walked down the aisle or stood waiting to receive our bride wearing that outfit? Anybody? Okay, if you put your hand up, I'm, I would like to do some counseling this week with you, okay? But none of us did, right? We tried to look our best, smell our best, sound our best. We put our best foot forward because we're kind of convinced that's what you do if you love. But what happens when you're jacked up, messed up, and screw up all the time? Are you still as lovable? Thankfully, God says yes. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, we'll connect to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. For you know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that God paid a ransom to save your life from the empty one you inherited from your ancestors. And the price he paid was not paid with mere gold or silver. Psh, psh, that's the sound, the theological sound attached to this verse right there. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, psh, which lose their value. Psh. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Okay, get the picture. Let's go back as though you lived during the day of the bride price. Okay? And during the day of the bride price, and this is still used in some parts of the world, a daddy would set a price on his little girl. And every little girl had a different price. And... Some daddies just didn't quite get how valuable their little girl was. And so he would say, four cows. And it was though, as though that price was written on your clothing, because everybody in your town knew it. That girl is worth four cows. That one, 
She's, she's a little bit this or that better. 12 cows. That one back in the back, the hot one, 22 cows. That one back there, the brilliant one, 38 cows. And then, of course, there would always be some daddy that was just absolutely smitten with his little girl that you know would just go 200 cows. So I want you just to imagine that we're all at one dance and the God of the universe comes in to pick someone to spend forever with. And he looks at the one who says 200 cows. He looks at the one, 22, 38, 12, 4. And then he looks at you. And on your shirt, it says, one donkey. <laughs> Preston, I'm worth more than that. No, you're not. Don't ruin my story. And here's what God did. Because remember, the penalty for sin is death. That's what someone who sin is worth, death. The God of the universe walked into that junior high dance and said, somebody please grab me a calculator. Add up every one of the animals listed on every single person's shirt. And he pointed at you with one donkey on your chest. And he said, I'm going to pay a hundred times what all the animals combined in this room. I'm going to pay that for you. And then I'm going to, tomorrow when you wake up, I'm going to pay 10 times that. Okay, now I know Jesus died once and for all. I'm not saying he didn't. What I'm trying to help you understand is the value of what he did. He walked into the room, pointed at you. You were worth death. And he said, I will pay everything for you because I'm obsessed with you. I will marry you even though nobody else wants to. It's that kind of love. Here's the third. It's a I refuse to let you die when everyone else in the ambulance called your time of death kind of love. Hashtag Ephesians 2. You're just wondering where I'm going with this one. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved you so much that even though you were dead because of your sin, he gave you life when he raised Christ from the dead. Get the picture. You died. You are dead. At home. And the only person there is God. Calls the ambulance. Okay? Let's, let's personify him. Let's just personalize him. Okay? He's like your spouse. He calls the ambulance. Ambulance takes a few minutes to get there. Your body is already rigor mortis is setting in. You're turning purple. It's you're not doing well, you're dead, okay? And he is pumping on your chest when the EMTs arrive. And one of the smart mouth EMTs walked in, saw the color of your skin and said, I'm ready to call the time of death. And God went, shut your mouth. He kept pumping. Still blue, still completely dead. Now you're in the ambulance. Some smart mouth in the front seat said, let it go, old man. It's time to call. She's dead. And the God of the universe looked that smart mouth doctor in the face and said, shut your mouth. It just looks like it. And kept pumping. Nothing. You were dead in your sin. Then the driver spoke up because it's been 30 minutes on the way to the hospital because you live in the middle of nowhere, by the way. The driver says, 
she's dead. There's nothing you can do about it. And it's as though the God of the universe timed it perfectly and he pointed and spoke all the way to that tomb where Christ's body had been laying for several days and said, son, get up. And at the same time looked at you and said, get up, my child. And you did. When everybody else, because of your sin, called your time of death, the God of the universe refused to give up on you. (laughs) That's a love. Ain't nobody else in your life can say they have. That is the love of your God. Number four, it's a special name for you. No one else has the right to call you kind of love. 1 John 3, 1, see how much our Father loves us? For he calls us his children. And that is what we are. Okay, most of us focus on the word children. Wow, we're his children. You know the word I focus on? The word his. Let me point it to the Old Testament. Isaiah 43, verse 1. I know God is speaking about the Israelites, but remember, as believers in Yeshua, we're grafted into the same kind of love. We don't replace them as believers or the church, but listen to the kind of love our God has. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Two people who are in love usually have pet names for one another. One of my favorite pet names that I've ever heard, Pastor Robert calls his wife Debbie, Shuggy. Love it. I think it's so sweet. I don't have the guts to call my wife that, but that's a great pet name. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. What is God's pet name for you? I don't care what you've done that makes you feel so bad about you. Do you know God's pet name for you? Here it is. Mine. The God of the universe. When everybody else wants to run away from you, the God of the universe looks at you, calls you by name, and says, Mine. That's mine. She's mine. He's mine. That's my child. The only thing better than being called his child is being called his. Here's the fifth kind of love. It's a forever and always, no matter what kind of love. Go back to Romans 8, verse 38. Paul says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us. Let me personalize this whole passage with you. Separate you from God's love. Not death, nor life. Neither angels nor demons can separate you from the love of God. Neither your fear for today nor your worry about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate you from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, 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 nothing. And all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This week, I felt like the God of the universe asked me one simple question. Preston, if you only had one more message to preach in your life, which, by the way, I don't think this is my last one. If you only had one more message to preach, 
I'm curious. And you know he already knows the answer. Which message would you preach? This is my answer. I would talk to whoever was in the room about the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit, about the importance of walking in the way of Jesus Christ, but more than anything, I'm telling you right now, I hope my last, the last words, even if I don't go for another couple of days, I hope the last words where my mind still works well are about the love of God, because at the end of the day, it all comes down to that. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.